Wait, I heard a door in the background. Sorry about that. My brother's knocking on the door saying, I've got a drink for you. <laughs> well, good to the end of the episode. It's a shadow falling with the speed of a deadly dance. Hide, look to tell the story, you won't get a second chance. Hide in your dream without getting stars. Hello and welcome to Silver Screeners, the very first episode. I'm your host, Avicii Carlson, and with me is my co-host, Adam Owen. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. hello. Um, new podcast, new podcast, sort of a yeah. spin-off podcast in a sense. Uh, we're both on the Podteed podcast every week. In case you wanted to check that out. Which you probably don't. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, we did a uh, little Academy Awards podcast thing um, last mm. week, and um, it was uh, a lot of fun, so we basically decided to extend it and create a regular film podcast. Well, on a couple of episodes of Podteed, we have sort of turned it into yeah. us talking about films. Pretty much. Uh, films, TVs, and whatever whatever else exists in the, in the motion picture. And, uh, yeah, no, now we're here on a regular basis every Sunday talking mm. about whatever. And uh, it'll be fun. Uh, we're both very big on watching films and TV. I mean, I go every. I mean, every Saturday, I always make the, make a four mile walk to the cinema, which is my official form of exercise. Yeah, and I go to the cinema every Friday, and I watch something. Um, I also taken a good four years of film school. So I I would say I I I have a firm history with film, and. Stuff like that, and it's 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 something I enjoy a lot. Yeah, I did media studies at university, so yeah, I ended up watching a lot of films. A couple of my courses involved analyzing and going through each of them. So yeah, it's always been something I've done. Absolutely. Uh, so let's just kick it off immediately with the recent stuff, the stuff we've been watching um, this past week. Uh, Adam, what have you been? What, what have you been watching? Well, the big cinema trip. Um, today was to go see Wes Anderson's new film, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Starring every actor in the world. Well, every actor in the world that Wes Anderson looks likes to work with. Yeah. Which means you get to see um, Bill Murray, of course. You get to see Adrian Brody. You get to see... Owen Wilson. Yeah, Owen Wilson in a small role. You get to see William Defoe. Did I say him? Nope. Good. I can't miss him. Um... I think the most important part of the film were the new additions, though. They seem to get the meteor roles. Yeah. With the big one being Ralph Hines as Gustav. The, um... The, well, there isn't really a main character in its ensemble piece. It's, it's the more of the hotel, right? Um, in a manner of saying... Okay. The thing about the film is that what makes it interesting is the, um... Is the framing device placed upon the narrative where it feels like, well, it starts off in the present day, then a girl reads a book written by an author, 
who then begins narrating years earlier, who talks about a time in his life when he visited a hotel and began a talk with the owner of the hotel, who he starts reminiscing about his time working at this hotel as a lobby boy. And that's where the main story happens. It's, I'm sure it works better in film than me explaining. I I, I hope it does. (laughs) It really does. Um, But yeah, the main subject of the film revolves around uh, Gustav. He pretty much runs the hotel as well as charm and enamor himself towards any to any clients that wish company. One such um, client um, ends up dead and a huge Hitchcockian like, like a huge caper begins where try to figure out how she died, who murdered her and what happened to her gold a extremely valuable painting. Um, the trailer shows are very very comedic um and everything, but I've also heard it's fairly uh, violent and even sexual at times. It's well, Wes Anderson films, at least the ones I've seen, don't rack up a body count. This one does. Not only that, but um, I wouldn't say there's much sexual violence in it at all. I can't think I'm, of... I'm just, going for, I'm just going off the word I've heard. Uh, I It doesn't it premieres here in two weeks, so yeah, I wouldn't know yet. It also has, a, in some areas, a much darker tone than I think is usually seen from a Wes Anderson film. Really? Because the idea is that this all takes place in a fictional Central European country on the verge of a fictional war and where fictional fascists are threatening to begin moving at any point. Still fascists. Well, fascists. One of the fascists is played by Edward Norton, for instance, who is the leader of a police unit who ends up embroiled in this mystery. That's fairly interesting. How would you say the... Because uh, going by the trailer, the movie is shot in four by three, not sixteen by nine. It depends or... on yeah, it depends on the time period. Ah, okay. So uh, when when the book starts being read and the reminiscing starts, the the um, it, yes, aspect it, ratio changes. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Um, he because also in a new but. Well, the way that scenery and cinematography is presented, it feels very 2D. As in, you can see layers of... It almost feels painted in a way. Where you can only see silhouettes, you see silhouettes running, you see... Make it, like, you can see it almost comes across as pages in a book half the time, this film. I can know sort of what you mean. Uh, in the trailer, there's a scene where we can see, I believe it's Willem Dafoe, is skiing down a hill, and um, it, it, it does, it, it's not shot as him going towards the camera, it's shown as him going down completely mm. chaotically, which uh, made, made for very. It, I mean, it was an odd thing to look at in the cinema. See, we, I had a trailer before I saw um, uh, American Hustle. Hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there are quite a few um, 
moments like that in the film where it feels very picturesque. It feels almost drawn in a way. That's pretty neat. Hmm? So would you recommend it? Yes, definitely. I mean, Wes Anderson films have always been an acquired taste. If you, that happens yeah. to be the style of writing and comedy that you look for, but I yeah, I'd say you should definitely definitely watch it if you've watched his previous films, such as Fantastic Mr. Fox and uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Is that how you say? Yeah. The, Royal, the Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. Yeah. If you like his other films, then this is probably probably one of my favorite ones from him. Pretty neat then. I'm a big fan of um, some of his work, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the movie a lot. So yeah, uh, I was also I was in the cinema cinema yesterday, and I watched um, a very late screening, probably last week it airs here, uh, the, the last screening of um, the Book Thief, uh, which um, was quite frankly disappointing. Uh, I'd heard mixed opinions on it, but overall, the the word was positive. Uh, but in the end, it's a very, it's a very rough movie. It feels unpolished. It feels unguided or misguided. Um, the story is told. It tells a story about um, this uh, girl in Liesel who is adopted into a family in um, World War Two Germany, and I think it plays out about six years of her life there or something. And how she gets to know people, and how their family start like the family isn't with the um, the national na- nationalist socialistic party. And uh, as you guys can see in the trailer, it comes down to basically them hiding a Jew and stuff like that. And it's a very very serious and interesting story. And seeing like um, World War Two Germany from the inside, not from the perspective of. Um, of like um, not not the war side and not the genocide side. Just so it's the, a home front side. It, it it's the it's the like the the average man side. Like what 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 went on for the regular people in Germany at that time? Because it was a very depressing time, of course, uh, for the people who didn't who wasn't part of the National Socialistic Party. And uh, it's very interesting. It's shot very well, and the acting, for the most part, is good. But then. They do this really weird thing, where, which which they do in a lot of movies, and I I, I can never get behind it. Where uh, sometimes they will speak German, sometimes they will speak English, and sometimes they will mix it. So you'll have like uh, the first scene with, with 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 the first scene in in Germany, and everyone is speaking German, and it's just subtitles, and I'm like, okay, this is this will be that kind of movie. That's cool. Then the next scene. The characters who were speaking German are now speaking English, except if now and except every time they say no or yes, they say nine or ja instead. Like it's so disorienting; it takes you out of the movie so much. And everything is done sounds, with such it's a, a it's... fake, thick German accent whenever they speak the English words. How many times has it threatened to turn into a Steven Spielberg directed episode of LOLO? It's actually a very, very yes. <laughs> I was thinking hello, hello, far too many times in uh, while watching it. Unfortunately, uh, I hate to admit it, but I did. Um, <laughs> and and that's not the only thing that's confusing. Uh, they have a narrator 
in the uh, in the movie. Uh, and the narrator's death. This is, that's not a spoiler. The very first the first scene in the movie. It just starts with a cloudy scene, and a deep voice comes on. It's like I come to people when they are at the end of their life, and I seek them out. They never see me so, and stuff so, like that. And so this film is narrated by the Grim Reaper. Yes, yes. The film is narrated by the Grim Reaper. Like, in fact, he even points out the view of him with a sickle and cape at one point. It sounds like something that should have been in The Winter's Tale, <laughs> which I watched earlier. Yeah, um, the um, the narrator of Death is by is Roger Allen, and he doesn't mm-hmm. he has a good narration voice, but the entire like Death telling you the story is it comes in at the most inappropriate places. It feels like, like of course there's this this narration at the start and at the end. It's about Death. Oh, no one can escape Death. No. It comes to us all. No one lives forever. Blah blah blah. We get it. But like now and then, it would just be like, "Oh, Lisa is going to school." Uh, I slowly looked over Lisa's shoulder as she took those steps to her first school day, not knowing what might happen next. Who would I touch my hands upon next? Like it just like we get it, Def. You're a dick. Stop being. Stop interrupting the movie. It's really annoying. Um, I love that idea that Death hangs around everyone at all times, saying, "Ooh, am I gonna touch like, you now? Am I gonna touch you? Just, Stop it, so, Death!" No, it's 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 so oddly directed because it's it's shot well, but it's um, it's weird. Jeffrey I mean, is one of the main characters, and he does a great job despite the German fake accent thing. Going on with every line delivered. So I take it his Australian accent is best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so he, I mean, he plays the he plays Lisa's adoptive father, who's like a really good guy, and it's like, oh, yeah, like, he refers to her. I think his first line in the movie uh, to Lisa is like, uh, uh, "Welcome, your Majesty," or something like that, and he keeps going on with that royal to her throughout the movie and he's really sweet and he's a, he's a, he's a great character and he's he's fun to follow um but um actual like events that goes on while being serious they're not I, I think they might not be fit for film or yes it should be shot very differently now um it's originally not by the Australian author Marcus Zusak uh, which is also narrated by Def the novel um and as far as I can figure out, just very, very simply um, looking through the Wikipedia article, the um, it's a fictional story. It's not your life accounts. Mm. Um, and that that I kind of got that. I kind of got the whole fictional thing when up as a character, as in the literal embodiment. Of- but, but the thing is, like. like I I thought like when I when I left the movie I was like oh well that that is not to be that must have been a true story because otherwise whoever wrote this has no idea how storytelling works like there's so many things in this movie where like okay that's acceptable because it's a true story as a story it just feels pointless and weird like not not to get into spoilers because I I I don't want to spoil any like last act of the movie and stuff like that but um. There are a bunch of things where, like, 
a character will do something that's very major to the character, like something with happy character or something, and then they it's it's like the last scene the character is in and they follow up on it. I'm just saying, I think, oh, so I guess that must have happened in real life. Why else would have mentioned would have mentioned it? Because it it made no importance to the rest of the story and was never mentioned again. So it's a film in need of oh, a yes. And the first edit should be take out death. <laughs> because I'm sure it works great in the novel, having an all narrative if that's interesting, and it can work in a movie too. But oh wow, it was so it did not work at all. I think that's the thing. I mean, a lot of these a lot of books being turned into films nowadays, the ones that have fantastical elements, those fantastical elements I think in the past would have been removed. Oh, yeah. And the main focus on the plot. I mean, it sounds a bit like when I went to watch The Winter's Tale, which, or in the UK, um, oh, yeah. a New they, York they Winter's add Tale. A New York. But yeah, I mean, that's a very fantastical film, and uh, and it's based on a best-selling book, and it did not fit at all. As in all of these... Fantastic, fantastical elements that I'm sure worked great in the imagination of the reader wasn't as well interpreted on the screen. No, I got you. I mean, like, like the first, one of the first things in the, in the movie is that Elisa, um, the titular book thief, like uh, uh, right, she's on a train where and they're heading towards the their of their parents, and and her brother dies. Uh, which is what Death is narrating. It's like, oh, when I took uh, Liesel's brother's life, she took an interesting... Uh, uh, she took an interest in and I took an interest in her, and stuff like that. And um, we see, like, they, 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 they have to bury the brother uh, by, 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 by the railroad tracks and then continue on. And the person digging the grave, he drops a book, which Liesel... Which is why she's a book thief. And... Um, the book, which is what she uses to learn how to read, is the Digger's uh, Handbook. And, like, they, they make it through, and Jeff Rush is like, oh, make sure that if I die, then you need to uh, bury me properly. Don't forget Chapter 6. And stuff like that. And they, they make a big deal out of this book in the first act. And then they just forget about never mentioning it again. I'm sitting there waiting for, like, okay, so that book is going to have some relevance, because they're clearly setting up a thing about death and Liesl now knows how grave digging works, and they're setting up like like the they're setting up a bunch of death flags for different characters, and they're gonna use the book for something. Nope, the book is never mentioned past the past the fact that they finish reading it, which is like the first fifteen minutes. See, see that sort of thing is where. Well, that's that's basic. That, that, that's basic storytelling yeah. where. If Chekhov's gun is in the room from the very start of the play, that thing is getting fired in the last five yeah. minutes or ten like, minutes. I was at I least. was sitting there just waiting for it to happen. And I guess in one sense it's good that it that it that I couldn't predict the movie. But the, but the fact I couldn't predict the movie because nothing happens. <laughs> that should not be the reason. Uh, the score is by John Williams, who was Oscar nominated for for his score in this movie. Well, John William John Williams is the world famous one of the most I don't know famous what the fuck composers he was doing of all time. Here. Was he doing a was he doing, were there violins and stuff in the background? I can't remember. 
I, I literally can't remember Maybe. anything from the soundtrack of this movie. And I knew with Young Williams going in, thinking like, oh man, no matter what, I'll get a good soundtrack. And I listened to... Uh, well, I mean, I was listening... Yeah, I the trailer has a great soundtrack. Like a good soundtrack. The trailer has, has memorable music that I can remember to this day. That's not in the movie. Maybe he got Oscar <laughs> nominated for that trailer alone, and they were like... Well, are we going yeah. to argue with John yeah, Williams it's, it's, about this? Um, the cinematography is by uh, Florian Ballhaus, and I gotta say, the cinematography is beautiful. Um, it, when when the direction isn't a mess, the actual shots and stuff like that are really, really good, and uh, they give give a very good sense of war torn Germany and stuff. Uh, Emily Watson plays Liesel. She does a good job. Emily Watson. I'm good. Not heard of her? Oh, okay. I'm sorry, you were just cutting out a little bit. Um, but, well, y- yeah, I mean, um, everyone from my age has heard of that person. <laughs> sorry. Um, I have to get it wrong there. I am... Ooh, no, I'm not the on, person I was on. thinking of. Uh, I'm getting my list of act wrong because this list is stupid. Uh... Oh, she was in Corpse Bride. No, she's you know uh, Emily Watson. That's good. The that that's why I I, I confused me. No, Emily Watson doesn't play Liesel. Emily Watson. Uh, wow, the character descriptions on Wikipedia just spoils the entire movie. Um, I'm sorry, I've, I don't know. Uh, I em- Emily Emma Watson, Watson uh, plays like, Rosa. Oh, I mean, uh, you mean um, uh, adoptive mother. Mm-hmm. She's probably the most nuanced and interesting character in the entire in the entire movie. She's a good job. Uh, no, the the person who plays Liesel is Sophie Nellis. I think it's pronounced Nellisa. Uh, Canadian is, um, and uh, she does a good job. She has only done a f- uh, uh, one movie before this, which was uh, Monsieur. And apparently she's two movies this year. The Great Gilly Hopkins, um, which plays the main character, and Pawn Sacrifice. So I, I hope this, I hope we'll see her do more. She did a good job. Uh, the director is uh, Brian Percival. I have no idea what he was doing here. <laughs> because... I... He's, he's a Shakespearean director. Come on! I'm looking at what he's done. He's done several, yeah, he's done several um, BBC and uh, American, not American, just general British television works yeah. such as The Ruby and the Smoke, which was based on a book that I particularly liked. He, he, he also did much ado about nothing for the Shakespeare Retold thing. Um, now he's 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 a good he's a good director. Oh. But something went wrong with this one. Maybe maybe it's the editing by John Wilson. I don't know, but no. Um, I guess I'm very late in that movie because it came out in October. I also liked his version of the old. What were you saying? When did it... I was just saying I enjoyed his the old Curiosity Shop, which starred Derek Jacob, which was very good. No, the but, um, yeah. the movie came out in October originally and November in the US. Uh, so I'm a bit late on it, but yeah, with Swedish releases. But no, I was fairly disappointed Sorry. leaving the cinema. I get the. It was released. It was, I think it was released 
kind of recently over here, and it only really stu- stuck around for about a week. I think now it's on about. I wonder nine if it was directed in German or something. Even though it's it's a it's it's a British film director because the opening titles, um, well the open there's a logo. That's all there is. It's like it's like uh, um, the book thief in German being written by hand on like brown paper. And it looks really nice. Then it just fades out, becomes a regular typed up computer font saying the book thief. <laughs> it looked terrible. <laughs> but no, I don't really recommend the movie. If you have nothing better to watch, then yeah, go see it. It's mediocre. It's it's very mid of the road. I mean the um trailer about to be a maybe a more fantastical, but probably yeah. like a traditional Steven Spielberg film. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, the, the the story is very good. It's just not told well. It, if the story if the story had been told well, this would, it would have been lovely. But that's what Jake does. So those are the things we watched um, in cinemas this week. Well, I mean, I'm usually yeah. I mean that. I mean, every Saturday it'll be um, cinema time, but between yeah. that is usually stuff I rent yeah, on DVD or Netflix. Yeah, and I saw that we'll talk about specifically later. But I'll leave that for specifically later. What did you watch <laughs> on Netflix? Of course, um, um, it depends. I mean, they recently put season four of Archer on um, the US Netflix and... I've always, I think I've, that's one of the only shows I'm watching now that I've started on, like from the first episode. Oh, wait, oh yeah, Archer, Archer. I, I was thinking Arrow and for a I second. Think it's I was only like, sh- what? They made four seasons of that? <laughs> no, Archer is, um, well, it's still it's continuously getting better for each season, which is something. We, I don't think we get that a lot with Stin, where by season five, it's just as good as it's always been, if not even better. I haven't watched her, so I wouldn't know. I, I I know briefly what it is, but that's about it. Um, what else have I watched? Um, I watched Basketball again because, of course, I'm going to do that. By Matt Parker. Just in time for South Indeed. Park to Secret Truth. Um, yeah, and I've been watching a few episodes of South Park as well. I recently watched the um, the free park yeah. console wars one. That was, be- I mean, every now, every now and then, every new episode of South Park that I like is always a surprise. It's either too preachy or too just dire. For I me. actually watched South Park in like six years. I don't know what it is. What it is anymore. Well, they've gotten a lot more political, and it's always, and we, yeah, obviously people like that, but I still prefer seasons two to five or six. But yeah. yeah okay. I've been re-watching some House of Cards um, um, myself, which is what I do with my spare time. I was, I was like, I was actually, I went on Netflix to watch some Disney movies, and I have Swedish Netflix. Uh, we have one. Uh, we have get... one 2D animated Disney movie, and that's the that's the new Winnie the Pooh movie. 
Everything else is either live action Disney, Disney Channel stuff. Uh, they're they're um, the the CG animated stuff they do to the side, like Mars needs moms. Or <laughs> I saw I've I actually seen Mars needs moms on a giant IMAX 3D screen. Hmm. Oddly enough, it's not any fun. Yeah. But yeah, and they also have like, they have High School Musical and High School Musical Two, but not High School Musical Three. Two's the best. Uh, one, let's think. see what else they do. Okay, they do have the '90s um, cartoons like Goof Troop and uh, Tailspin. So at least there's that. Oh. I don't oh, even think weird. we get Goof Troop or Tailspin. Uh, and and for, for, for Pixar, oh, they have two I'm, movies: I'm go- Brave and Cars Two. That's actually kind of because um, I watched Wally earlier this week as well. Um, I can't think of what other Pixar films are on there other than the oblig- obligatory cars. They might well just so, yeah, on Sweet Netflix sucks. It's, it's always going to suck. For DreamWorks, we have Shrek 1, 2, and basically all their short films. That's all we have. I don't think we get any Shrek. I don't think we have any other Shreks or any of the. Now we just get the short the, holiday the, the, films. Do you have Shrek the musical? Um, I found a way to. Oh, I okay. think that's on the US Netflix. I plan on just watching that and then going back to the start and watching that again just to check to see if I didn't. I didn't <laughs> I can't hallucinate Shrek it. The musical on Netflix of all things. Well, I, I wasn't too surprised because, well, there's been plenty of adverts for the West End production in London, everywhere. But um, every time I look at Shrek the Musical, any sort of poster or DVD, I just sort of wonder yeah. what the hell is going on. Yeah, that's what I do too. Is it? Okay, <laughs> good to I'm not all that fond of Shrek but 2. But I like Shrek, Shrek 2, really 2 and good. 4. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. Shrek 2 is funny, for starters. It gets that one down. Um, I think Shrek 1 was just sort of... Well, I, I guess you I guess you just had to be there right, at the but time. It's just, it's just a cynical attack against Disney. That's all it is. I mean, it's about it's basically about taking down Disneyland. Yeah, and I think because it because it has a proper target, something that it knows it's knows it's got something against. The whole film just sort of comes across as yeah, it way becomes, too it sarcastic. Comes off as spiteful in a way. Hmm. I mean, most satires or spoofs. I mean, I don't mind them. I mean, um, I've, I've been watching Airplane and Space Wars recently. They're films that, well, you, you can sort of see a love exactly. for the original artifact there. But with, but with Shrek, I'm sure the making of it behind the scenes between the executive producers was more fun. Well, than because the film it, w- it was people who had basically quit Disney or were fired by Disney and hated Disney, making a movie about not liking Disney. Yeah. 
led by Jeffrey Katzenberg, the um, man who has been celebrated as bringing Disney back from the dead, and now he's... If he can't have Disney, yeah. no one gets Disney. <laughs> no, exactly. Maybe. I don't know. That's, I mean, that, that, that's the problem with a lot of, with a lot of things. People, people, people spoof things they don't like, and it just, it just comes off bad. When you have something you like, it just becomes more funny. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite films is... Oh, yeah, absolutely. Blazing Saddles. Because every single time I watch that, it's always something... Like, the more I watch other westerns, the more you you can appreciate it. As in, it, it, there's clearly a love there for all of the old westerns. No, yeah, Blazing Saddles is absolutely wonderful. Um, I mean, Mel Brook in general does a very good job. All the stuff. I mean, hell, Robin hmm. Hood Man in Tights is very fond of the Robin Hood legend. <laughs> Less fun, <laughs> fond of um, Kevin Costner. <laughs> oh yeah, obviously. I like well, who Kevin is fond Costner. of Kevin Costner? He was good in Jack Ryan. I never. I just saw him and thought, well, he's, but he's getting work. Yeah. I guess we can be thankful for that. He was Superman's oh, yeah, dad. That's was. good. He's he's doing all right. God, yeah, he was the worst mm. Clark Kent ever. Yeah, maybe you should let people die, Clark. I don't know. I don't care. I didn't mind him. In, I didn't mind him in that film that much. But yeah. Um. Yeah. What? What else? Have, I could talk about Wally a bit. I'm I'm Wally. always good with that. Yeah, I just adore that film much. I kind of, after finishing it, I just sort of decided that Wally's one of the greatest animated characters ever I think a lot of people decided that before you. No, I was the first person that ever liked this film. Ever. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but I sort of put him alongside um, Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny. Racist characters? He's up there. <laughs> well, that's one way of looking at it. If you can find <laughs> any bits in Wally, to well, back you, that you up, can't then... compare Wally to Mickey Mouse or Bugs Bunny without showing me this one scene of Wally in blackface. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did have a lot of dirt on uh, him. Not even half an hour in, and the first blackface joke. This is going great. I love this. This is podcast. a wonderful podcast already. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Wally was oh, it's such a good film and the bit, and you forgot the first half hour when it turns into a romantic comedy where he's trying his hardest to flirt with her and then halfway she has to shut down and he's still trying, bless him and then they go into space and it all builds on the yep. Walmart parody slash satire what do you what do you think of the whole Pixar is but, uh, one universe Pixar thing? People talk about. If, it's sort of fun to think about, but you can't really look too much into it. Otherwise, it all yeah, just people sort of say like, apart. "Oh, uh, uh, humans went to the planets to the point where cars became sentient and took over the planet as they left, and that's what <laughs> happens after Toy Story and stuff like that." <laughs> A part of me thinks that at some point someone's going to have to try and argue that because 
watching the end credits for Pixar for and uh, for Wally, it shows that the humans would eventually just start all over again, as in go through the entire evolutionary track and stop being giant fat blobs and creating architecture all over again and living the lovey-dovey hippie life with robots every now and then. Just paying attention, you said start all over again. I've been but, um, listening to the War of the Worlds in my head. Yeah. Well, who doesn't? Pixar? P- P- Pixar but, yeah, are, are, are interesting fellows. I've always found them very hit and miss myself. Um, probably because I, I, I got the story on VHS when it came out uh, back in the day. I loved it. And then I uh, saw A Bug's Life and I hated it. That one was better as a entertaining kids film rather than a let's all look, watch it and actually appreciate it. What did you do after that? Film, was it Monster Think after that? It might have no, been Toy Story 2. was it? Did they? Okay. Toy Story 2 is on the cinema. And I, I, loved, I loved Toy Story 2 more than I loved Toy Story 1. Um, then yeah, Monsters, yeah. Inc. I did not like. I found that one very boring. Uh, Finding Nemo I, like I didn't like either. Uh, well... um, hmm. I think most of the time with our films, I gravitate towards thinking they're great. I mean, I think the only ones that I don't quite think... I mean, this is going to be a bit, a bit of a controversial opinion, but I didn't like Cars all that much. <laughs> oh, wow. You're so radical. Whoa. Whoa. Step back. Step back, son. I liked, I liked, I liked Cars 2 more than I think most people did, but even uh, then... Cars, I, I thought Cars was alright. It wasn't anything special, but it was alright. Uh, cast two is absolute garbage. Hmm. Um. Well, I think when I rented it, I just sort of thought to myself, "I'm not even going to try and take." Cast two is end. fucking graphic. Well, that's sort of the as fuck when you think about it. They kill so many cars in that movie. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> they're they're alive. <laughs> How can they do this in a kids movie? They're straight up murdering things. But yeah, um. So are they living organisms? Are they They mechanically engineered? If so, who built them? You don't want to know. How do they do it? How does this... No, but... But yeah, I mean, Cars 2 was just... Well, if the first film, it tries to introduce a mole of a story and a plot and everything, Cars 2 just says, let's go to each different country and see how many cars we can do. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I agree because the limo wasn't bad enough the first time in Cars One, um, but yeah, no, uh, that's a little Pixar talk. We'll be having a little break here, and then we'll go back to our topic of the week. So long, suckers! In the world of high-speed travel, it's easy to get misdirected, totally rejected, and dangerously affected. Hello. But it's impossible to slow down. Good. <laughs> Speed Zone, a comedy over the limit and above the law. I got goosebumps. Rated PG. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Um, we had some audio issues in the first part. Hopefully they've been sorted out, sorted out now. I apologize about that. It was on my end, and if it's still there, I will be looking into it for next week. And on my end, my mouth is burning. Yeah. Extensively. You've been, you've been eating spicy food. Spicy. I, I cannot do spicy food at all. I like spicy food a lot. Whenever I go to Nando's, I get, this, I get the um, least spicy option possible. Anything else, and it's just not fun. So, what's your favorite Spice Girl? Um, I like Baby Spice. She, she was always the, she was always the one that stood out for me. Yeah, good pick. Uh, so, the topic this week is modern Disney, specifically modern mm-hmm. animated Disney. Because you and I have been watching uh, some of the recent Disney stuff. I've ha- I've been watching Frozen. You've been watching Winnie the Pooh. I finally saw Tangled, and basically we're going to talk about basically the um, the return the the animated return to form that Disney brought a few years ago. Yeah, I mean, um, I think there was a point where I think it was after Tarzan or Lido and Stitch, but there was a clear point when Disney stopped becoming the front runners when it came to animated film. I mean, as much as I love Lilo and Stitch, I don't think people saw that as a as as, as quintessentially Disney as perhaps the others from a decade before, which were all huge, ginormous things. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't The Iron King, it wasn't a Aladdin, it wasn't anything like that. It was a it was an mm. animated film. That was that was good, <laughs> but. Yeah, I mean the the competition started um, heating up really. But it was really in the in yeah in the two thousands when DreamWorks, Blue Sky, people, what, uh, and all of these different animation studios started to become more well known. And not only that, but more international studios were being noticed for the first time, such as Studio Ghibli. Exactly. I mean, Studio Ghibli is basically, um, they sort of pushed their way into mainstream um, animated features, despite being a part of something niche, being, you know, Japanese anime and stuff. Um, of course, Ghibli is, um, is uh, I believe, Disney now? In, um, I think um, Disney, dis- I think it, they ju- Disney just distribute oh, all okay. of their films in America. All right. Because I know there was a Disney logo on the Secret World of Ariete. Mm, I think that might have been... Yeah, because I, mean, I remember Spirited Away was the first big Disney co-production where... I think... It, was it Pixar who handled the English dub for that? I have no idea, actually. I haven't seen the English dub. I remember John Lasseter himself organised it and directed the English dub of Spirited Away. That's interesting. And I think after after Princess Mononoke became one of the first Studio Ghibli films to gain a theatrical release, the, uh, the momentum kept going and eventually Hayao Miyazaki was finally recognised by international audiences, audiences as this big filmmaker. He was, um, which is we've, we've gone completely off topic. Uh, <laughs> <I just realized. laughs> well, when we're talking about animation, we're talking about the um, 
Yeah, the the, the, the sort of the, the fall landscape. of regular Disney. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I think um, films like um, Spirited Away, Shrek, and others were competing with stuff like Home on the Range. Yeah, I mean, Disney were competing with himself because he had Pixar basically being like the new Disney in a way. People look forward to the the annual mm. Pixar movie, but like, who cared? Who cared about Chicken Little? Yeah, and the, I think with Chicken Little was also the start of Disney trying to move away from two D traditional animation in general. Absolutely, it was Chicken Little and Bolt, and uh, uh, was it was called the Robinsons or something? Meet the Robinsons, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it took a it took a while before eventually, I think, certain. The animation studio changed hands into John Lasseter overseeing everything animation wise for Disney. And one, and, of his fir- um, well, one of his first big decisions was we're making another princess film. It's going to be 2D animated and it's going to be based around New Orleans. Both with the princess and the frog, which yeah. I was not too fond of. I kind of saw it as I liked it, but it kind of comes across as lightweight when compared to the rest of the lineup, which may not have been fair, but it was just something that was at the back of my head, as in this probably could have been told a lot with the same teams behind the Lion King and um and Little Mermaid. I just felt the writing had a lot of problems. Um, like there's there there are no interesting characters in the movie. Uh, the, like the the characters are so devoid of personality. I thought that was my main problem. And the one person who has like the two people who have personalities, the main villain, is in it far too little. Um, and the prince who is just an asshole and completely unlikable. I think the thing about um, Doctor Facilia, I think is that his name, Doctor Facilia. Yeah. That was the name of the witch doctor who. Turns everyone into frogs, I think. Yeah, he has the best song in the movie. He gets the one song I remember from the movie. Pretty much. The one really, really good song. But, yeah, I mean, I always like it when Disney does the Gaston villain. The petty villain. The one, the villain who isn't out for ultimate power or ultimate or money or just plain old greed. It's more... Because I think his, uh, well, what he was after was intelligence. He wanted to become more well acquainted with the voodoo side of things in the afterlife, and everything yeah. that he did was in pursuit of gaining favor with the overlords of voodoo. Yeah, the um, the quote unquote friends on the other side. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a very mediocre movie. I didn't care for it at all. And it was, it was it was sort of a big disappointment to me because it was like oh oh Disney returning to form finally and watching it and just not caring at all about it, uh, which unfortunately put me off of Tangled, um, which uh, during pre production I was really really hyped for Tangled. Uh, of course, then it was known as Disney's Rapunzel, mm. but the following uh, disappointing. Uh, uh, they're a lot disappointing, but lower box office than they wanted for Princess and the Frog. Disney decided, let's stop marketing these movies as princess movies. Yeah, it's. It, 
I remember the first trailer for that, which was not at all really like what we saw in the cinema, or like as long after the film was released. Yeah, because I think it sort of advertised itself predominantly as a DreamWorks movie. Sort of. It had this very uh, wacky, um, quirky, self-aware yeah, feel as to in, it in the, in, the, in, the, in the trailers and stuff. As in, part of a promotion was, what what situations are they going to get into where hair is important? Yeah. As a part- um, whereas the actual movie is very traditional Disney. Yeah, and the main focus is the relationship between this stashing rogue and Rapunzel, um... It's incredibly likable, that in Rogue. That's what I like, Flynn, when they... Well, Flynn Rider is really likable. When you have a dashing rogue, you have to make him likable, otherwise he is just an asshole who quips every now and then. Yeah. You get Nathan Drake, basically. Pretty much, yeah. But if you can give us a reason to like him despite the roguishness of him, which is the main focus... As in, we have to like this guy, even though he steals for a living. It's like Aladdin. Like yeah. Aladdin is a thief just going around stealing food from honest merchants in the start of the movie. But he he has personality. He has a good side to him, and he becomes very relatable and likable as a result. Hmm. Plus, he has to go through an arc which allows him to become a better person. Yeah. But there really isn't a lesson of do not steal that he learns in that movie. Because <laughs> that's sort of just well, sort of thrown I, I, out the think... window after he gets into the palace. <laughs> well, at that point, I don't think he's thinking about what my wonder should, if I should steal. I think that got answered for him the moment he found the genie. Pretty much. The moment... Yeah, he, 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 was stealing, he was stealing to get by, and now he's getting by, so... Yeah. But, yeah, Tangled also is one of them... Probably one of my favourite villains. Uh, do you mean mother? Yes. Yeah. As mother I, with, uh, or the old witch is a really good villain. I mean, as I said, I like it when a villain is petty. A villain has no high moralistic aims or desires, but they are willing to go through some, do some horrible things based on something like vanity or ego. The case of of the mother is just staying young and mm. keep keeping the power of the the uh, the flower to herself. And I, I just love how the most evil. I mean, a large chunk of what she of the her sort of personality is very passive aggressive in a very controlling way. And that's so how, now I'm the bad guy. Yeah, as in she pretty much every line she has is designed to undermine Rapunzel in whatever way. Yes, and it's she's she's very well written as as a character as well. Because hmm. she's interesting. I mean, there's no justifying what she's doing, but you're still enveloped in what she's doing. And uh, of course, she has a great song as well. Oh, yes. Mother Knows Best is haunting. That's the thing, where She's not. It's. I reckon it's in the same ranks as "Poor Fortunate, Unfortunate Souls" by Ursula from *The yeah. Mermaid*. A song that sounds like it's supposed to be a nice song, 
but with something behind it that you're not quite sure of. That doesn't yeah. sit right. That, that hints towards a much darker underbelly than you'd think. Those sort of songs can be done so well. Especially when, when, when a reprise comes in later in the movie. Mm. Um, where Repulsive Finder says no. And that that entire sequence, it gave me chills. It was absolutely fantastic. And overall, Tangled had a really good set of songs. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, when Will My Life Begin? I think it's Rapunzel's main lead song. Uh, which is really, really funny. I just love Rapunzel's character overall. I mean, the introduction to her was as a... How old is she in the film when we see her? She's 17 uh, when we first meet her. She's going to turn 18 in three days, I think. Right, because that whole introduction was just one of the... I just love that character. And I love the designs of all of these characters. The designs are really nice. And the backgrounds. Oh. Uh, I remember them talking about how they they wanted to get a, a um, sort of pastel uh, hand-painted uh, feeling to it. And the backgrounds really show that. They look very unique and interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's a it's a very pretty movie. I just like how it, they managed to make CGI work in the film's favor. Because oh, absolutely, all the stuff to do with the hair, like yeah, you could draw that, but they make it look so amazing with it with with the three D animated stuff. But it, it just sort of looks drawn. It looks as if there's been there's personality behind every part of this film. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching Chicken Little or whatever other ones there were, and I just thought, this, this doesn't look like anything. And then you realize yeah. that the technology now is a little bit outdated. And But, but that's where Tangle just work, does it so well. <laughs> yeah, Tangle is... I was amazed at um, the visual... Uh, design of, of Tangled, and, and I I was a big fan of um, the the if you've ever seen the original concept art for Rapunzel, um, where she, where she had a more straight hair, she had a slightly different design, a different dress and stuff. Uh, that was that was the first time first I saw her, and I was like this, like I really like this design a lot, this hand painted design they had on that one, and that was when the movie was still called Rapunzel, early in pre production, um, and they changed her up and just. Uh, made it look a bit different and uh, I wasn't sure how I felt about that at first but I started growing into the way she looked and then when I, when I finally watched the movie the way the, the, she's written, her personality she's probably my favorite princess of the Disney princesses which has in the past always been Aurora like that's not, that's not been a that's, that's been an easy answer for me <laughs> but uh, like it, it, it took me one minute, one hour and forty minutes of watching Tangle to just knock Aurora out of the first place. She's she's such a delight, and yeah. all yeah. the characters, someone, even even the like the supporting uh, 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 comedic sidekicks, like the little um, uh, chameleon and the horse uh, Max, they're also funny. Well, I like the horse as well. I thought because I went into the film thinking there was. I mean, only really expecting this uh, weird little double act between uh, what, Flynn. Flynn? Yeah, Flynn Rider or Eugene. Yeah, and the um, and the horse, and that horse was such a fantastically done character. Every single part of him was 
<laughs> I can't. I, I want every single police force to have a an extremely pissed off horse all the time. We have horse on man uh, sword fight in this movie. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. All the set pieces really are awesome in this movie. Like mm. it, it's really energetic and, and adventurous, and it doesn't shy away from being somewhat graphic for a Disney movie. Like when Flynn cuts his hand on the rock, uh, we see this big open wound on his hand. Like it, it doesn't bleed, granted, but it still looked like wow, that's that's not too bad. That's that's pretty bad. Yeah, that would be something that would normally be either hidden or not included at all. And then after that, you of course you have in the uh, in the final act. Uh, spoiler warning here for the final act, um, where uh, Flynn is stabbed by mother. Like the, the dagger, sure, it's no blood on the dagger. It's, it looks as perfect as it ever was. Fine, whatever. But when uh, Rapunzel uh, runs up to him, he has blood on his shirt. He's stabbed and dying, and they made sure to show that. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I was really surprised they did that. Well, I think it's a sign of the times, really. I mean, yeah, I think that's that's the sort of thing we can get away with now more in kids' films, where so. it, it's much more. I mean, it was always obvious as to what was happening, but but it, well, we might as well show it now for properly if we want the kids to be able to understand what is going on. It it didn't unbind anyone, which I really like. It, it it told us what we wanted to tell, and it did it without any binds. Like it was, it was a completely free movie, and I I really liked that. It did what it wanted to do. Um, yeah. Which uh, I guess brings us to Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, I watched this recently. Um, this is one of this is probably one of my favorite Winnie the Pooh stories. It's definitely Bye. mine. I mean, I, I remember Winnie the Pooh from ages ago. I think that was one of the... I think that was one of the first Disney things I saw, Winnie the Pooh, and one of the things that everyone instantly recognizes. But yeah, this new one is just so fantastically well done. It has some of the best 2D animation I've seen in any movie ever. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I did like about The Princess and the Frog where, well, the animation was always going to be wonderful, and it is yeah. there. But what I liked about Winnie the Pooh was just how creative everything got. The honey scene. I just... Oh, yeah, the honey scene where he imagines everything is honey and or something. Either way, he starts getting, growing delirious. and I've never seen Winnie the Pooh tripping balls, but that needs to be in more films. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, I just love the whole framing device of it being obviously in a book. Where... I think I think my uh, yeah, with you have the pages and the words and all that stuff, and then all the words come into play in some form or another, whether they're walking on it or using letters for ladders or. And... I think my favorite scene in the movie is when uh, Rabbit just goes completely insane. And uh, like it starts planning out army tactics and stuff to capture the Baxen. Oh yeah, That's, that was brilliant. I think my favorite scene was just the general was the Baxen song where oh, yeah. Christopher Robin left a note saying 
busy now, be back soon. And Al, voiced by Craig Ferguson, interprets that as Christopher Robin has been kidnapped by the Baxon, an yeah. evil monster who is everything you've ever feared and some other things you can make up right now. And did you know, uh, this is something that a lot of people know, but the Baxon is actually on the poster of the movie. Hidden in the best way. I just so, love the after the credits thing where oh, yeah. they introduced the Baxon as a person for the first time and it's like, oh look, everyone's left all this stuff everywhere, I better go get it back. Yeah, but no, if, if, if you, please, uh, listeners, look up the Winnie the Pooh from 2011 poster and see if you can find Baxon on it because it's really <laughs> clever the way they've done it. <laughs> Which I think summarizes the movie as a whole. It's a really clever movie. I think, also, I think one of my personal favorite moments from the entire film was, for the first time, the credit sequence. Oh, yeah. Because during that, all of the events of the film, every main event is shown in the form of, well, the dolls themselves, the teddy bears... And it's all shown in the context of a child's bedroom. <laughs> and it's one of the most clever interpretations of Winnie the Pooh I've ever seen. Because that's what he's always been. It is, just... it is a really, really good movie. I mean, it's a shame it never really became as popular as most other Disney films got. I think it came out around the same time as Harry Potter, the last one. That might be and correct, it, yeah. And it got overtly lost in the shuffle. As it would. Because, well, I think it was one of the only U-rated films in the UK at the time. <laughs> so, where everything else was going PG. But, yeah, it's a beautiful film, and everyone should go see it. Absolutely. Which, I guess, brings us to Frozen. The big oh, Oscar oh, before winning... Then. Frozen. Before, before oh. we get to Frozen, um, Wreck It Ralph oh, is a course. Disney movie. Of course, yeah, it's a Disney classic. It's the fifty um, second, I think. I think Frozen was fiftieth. No, 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 Tango was fiftieth. So this one would be fifty seconds. Yeah, I think so. I think Frozen's fifty third. Mm, Wreck It Ralph's. Uh, well, it felt more like a Pixar film, I'd say. It comes across as more Pixar than Disney. You're going to have to elaborate on that because I haven't seen it. Well, a lot of the obvious um, comparisons between Toy Story and Wreck-It Ralph have been made where it does for video games what it does for uh, regular toys. But I just kind of saw the main crux of the film being the buddy relationship between Ralph and what what's the name of the little girl uh, in it? I uh, Sarah Silverman. That's the Vanellope, Vanellope, <laughs> Vanellope. There, there we go. We got there. But it just felt like it felt like the sort of relationship that I could see in a Pixar movie because that's what Pixar excels at. And it just gave me that sort of feeling throughout it. I can see that. That makes sense. I mean, Pixar um, 
I think it's their defining trait how they can do either they can do a couple either becoming friends or falling in love whether it's Wally and Eve or Mike and Sully from Monsters Inc and I think Wreck-It Ralph showcased that almost to the same level as Pixar because what I loved most about Wreck-It Ralph was that it wasn't just about the video games yeah it was definitely more of a relationship-based film. As in, a lot of focus was placed on building these characters, giving them personalities, and having them either make friends or develop each other along the way. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I've been, I, I, I never watched it, like I said. I, um, I was meaning to. I heard... Uh, decent to good things but um let's see when did that come out now that was, was it 2012 i think it was last uh, i think it was while well, it came out really late over in uk so yeah i don't remember when it, when it, when it came out here but it ended up being a movie i just didn't have time to go see it's possible that that they ended up releasing here or on the time where i was watching wasn't watching movies for a while Films, I keep, movies. I keep. I, th- I should really stick to one word. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confusing myself. I, I I always I always mix between movie and films. It's just something I do. Everyone <clears throat> notices yeah. it, and everyone in the world notices it except me. But but yeah, I, I'd certainly recommend everyone go see Wreck It Ralph. I mean, if you like, if you are into retro video games, if you're aware of arcade video games, such that you're going to get a kick out of all of the cameos, but that only really happens in the first half hour. Then it becomes like the Sugar Rush movie, right? Pretty much, most of the films. Yeah, is... which is why it's called Sugar Rush in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not surprised, but yeah. Also, it has one of the best. Uh, also, one of the most interesting characters in it, the um, king of the whole Candyland, voiced by um, Alan Tudyuk. Oh, okay. Who said that the main influence for that particular character was the Mad Hatter. Oh, well, now I have to see it. <laughs> I love the Mad Hatter. He is the best. <laughs> but no, okay. No, I, um, I'll be checking that one out. Yeah. Um, do you want to go Frozen next? We can go Frozen next, uh, which I watched this week. Do you want me to just sing? Do you want to build a snowman over and over? My brother says he loves it. Want to build a snowman? Come on, it's cold and stuff. Let's build a snowman. My brother loves it when I sing to him. Do you want to build a snowman? Sometimes he. Oh, loves I'm it. sorry. I I think you should just let it go. <laughs> oh. Okay, it's so a frozen. I watched it. I um, um, I'll be honest. I was somewhat disappointed. I um, I felt this movie got so close to being great. Like it got so close, and then you just sort of got scared and ran away. Uh, people talk about oh, it, it's clearly the most progressive Disney uh, princess movie at least. I don't think it was. I feel that 
like it, it sort of steps on its own toes far too much. And I guess, it, and it, there's so many obvious setbacks and problems remaining from the early productions. Uh, of course, originally, uh, when the movie was still called um, the um, the Snow Queen. Yeah. Uh, well, it was. Well, it. I think Walt Disney himself really wanted this film to be made early on. Yeah, the movie point. was in production uh, uh, shortly after uh, Snow White. This was one of the first considered uh, movies. Yeah, and the problem with getting the film on screen was never to do with animation. That was never a factor in it. It was always writing. Well, yeah, it, it was first cancelled because of another company making mm. a movie about... Um, um, of Christian Anderson and Disney is sort of losing interest. And then it was brought back in the, I think the nineties and then it was brought back in the two thousands and it was going to be a traditional, traditionally animated movie. It got canceled again. And after Tangled sort of worked out pretty well, they brought it back, renamed it Frozen and made it a 3d movie. And of course, at that point, Elsa was going to be the villain and Anna going to be the main protagonist. And then they started realizing Elsa doesn't really work as a villain and works more as a sympathetic sister character, so they became sisters. And then all of a sudden the movie didn't have a villain, which I think... I think the movie works stronger without a villain. I think the fact that the movie has a villain without mentioning who the villain is... We can put up a spoiling warning. Uh, Yeah, but I I won't talk a bit about the movie before I get into a spoiler warning. Okay, I feel that the um, the fact that the movie has a villain is one of the weakest parts of the movie. Uh, because the villain thing doesn't... It's not good storytelling what they're doing with the villain. Because um, the, the movie the movie sets up... In the first, like, the first 30 minutes are really, really good. They set up a very, in- very interesting character. So they set up an interesting premise. And then they seem to just be taking... Every every event after the first um, act, so to say, seems to split up into different ten to fifteen minute segments of what should happen here, and then they just put them together, and it becomes really obvious when they start ba- basically running back and forth between important locations, just for no like like oh oh now this person's gonna run here, but then they run back and then they run there again, and it's like. Why are you telling the story? It's so all over the place. It's so weirdly disconnected. And there were so many weird animation flaws for being a Disney movie. Like in the earlier in the movie, you see Anna dancing with Prince Hans. And it's this really nice song. It's a really good song number. And it's uh, uh, they're dancing. They're having a great time. They're falling in love. You see them dance on uh, on top of a ship on a on a uh, one of the uh, on the mast, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah, and they're dancing under it, and a spotlight falls on them, and you get to see them in the spotlight, the silhouettes dancing. Except the silhouettes are floating. It looks terrible. There's because the silhouette they they, they they forgot to give. A, it looks like they just forgot to add a shadow for the what they were dancing on top of. It looked terrible. And there's a part where the giant snow monster. This is this even even shown at the Academy Awards when they were showing the movie. There's a giant snow monster inside the ice castle, who like turns around at the gate of the castle and clearly clips through the door. It it looked like it was it's so 
weird amateurish mistakes for such a major, amazing studio as Disney. Who just like weird light things like during Let It Go, which is like this really important, big, amazing song piece where like the, 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 she builds up the entire ice castle and stuff. And they can't decide what light they want inside. Like, they, they, she's walking towards a pink sunset, giving pink light to the outside, but the inside has dark blue, almost pitch black darkness, even though this light is going clearly going through the door. It's like, how do you manage to fuck all that up, Disney? It I seems guess... so petty. I mean, I've, it's been a while since I watched this one. I watched it when it first came out into cinemas. Um, I don't think I, I don't think I noticed any of those. I think I read a, earlier, a little bit later, about how Elsa's hair clips in the middle of the Let It Go song. Oh yeah. I said I read that. Oh well, I guess if I watch it again, I'll notice it that time. Um. I think that's just the thing. I was, well, in, I I've already reviewed this film once. Um, um, on I think it first on whatever blog I did first, and then I put it back on my main blog. Adam likes to watch, and I I, I was pretty much glowing all the way through it. I really I'd, wanted to because hmm. I, I I was loving the um, the designs. I was loving the the promotional material and all the stuff, but um. There were so many issues with the movie for me, and I've only seen it once. I, I will probably when it, when it, when the Blu-ray hits in Sweden, I'll, I'll be picking that up and I'll be watching it again probably. Um, yeah, we'll I'm see how I feel about it then. But no, I was. Uh, it's a good movie. It is a good yeah. movie, but it's it's so far from being in slightly as great as it easily could have been. So would you say it would probably need a rewrite? It would have needed about four, five or six rewrites. <laughs> And a direct and, and a, a a better editor. Um, should we put up a spoiler warning here? Yes, go into details. Yeah, sure. All right. So, spoiler warning for Frozen. Um, that prince guy is the bad guy. Yeah, which comes out of left field, and is only important for like five minutes. <laughs> it's like, oh, I think that's the thing. It's um, so pointless. I was, I was watching the film and. I think I've, I was always expecting, um, who's he? Chris Hans or uh, Christoph? The other guy, Christoph. I, yeah. I was expecting him to be the love interest because, well, he was in all the promotional material. He was in all the adverts. And what? And when in the film they showed um, Prince Hans and Anna having a song together and by the end of like, I'm going to marry you. Oh yay! I was like, "Wait, what?" But what? But in in all the adverts with the snowman thing, it's always Kristoff rolling his eyes and stuff. What? But yeah, um... I, I I felt the entire thing with um, with Kristoff, who originally was actually going to go to the castle and be and, and, and offer Anna information about the Snow Queen that he had. Uh, there are there are actually some pretty cool cut scenes you can watch on YouTube. It's still in storyboard mode. Uh, on Disney's official channel, we show that. Um, but no, I think the fact that Hans is in the movie, I'm fine with that. The fact that they have that that, that, that he starts off as a love interest for Anna, uh, I'm fine with that. That's that's fine. And then they bring up the point like you can't marry someone after only knowing them a day. That's like the strong 
that's the strong progressive message everyone keeps pointing at in this movie. I thought that the... Uh. What? Sorry, it went it went all distorted. That's weird. Just a, I I kind of figured that the main message was that this isn't a Disney movie where true love means a, a kiss shared between a prince and a princess, as in the whole the main crux and concept of the film was the love between the sisters. Well, yeah, that was and, the and, main and thing. I, the focus ab- on. absolutely. Um, but this, my point is that that uh, they set that whole thing up, and um, and that's fine. And uh, and of course, everyone knows by the point they mentioned, like, oh, um, you need true love to break the frozen heart. Everyone knows that Han's not going to be true love. Everyone knows that it's so obvious. We've but established they, but, that, yeah. But they don't need to make him a villain because of that. Imagine how much more interesting it would have been if he did kiss her. And it just didn't work because it wasn't true love. But he, all of a sudden, he, here comes this power-hungry, pointless villain who has like three more scenes in the movie. I think what they needed to, ha- I'd say that it, one of the complaints that um, is, I just consider it nitpicky. But if that's what the plot was going to be, and it's a plot I was fine with, but I think they could have hinted towards it just a little bit more during the introduction to the character because they established that he's the youngest in a large family so he's gonna so he wants to be able to have at least something a kingdom somewhere yeah and i didn't get the i think what the film could have done was show a grudge he holds against that he as in i i I kind of figured they needed they needed to make him a little bit angrier a little bit more resentful of his status in royalty, I think the main problem for me is that it wants it, it. It's too scared to not be a standard Disney movie. It needs a villain. It needs a hero. It needs a final good uh, love moment in the end. Kristoff's character as well is mostly kind of not necessary for the for the movie at all. He's just there so we can have a love interest after, in the in the in the actual end. Um, well, think... It's just so weird because, like, like I said, the, the the entire like true love thing it, it ends up being the fact that, this, that it's between the sisters, which is great. That's a great moment um, and all that stuff uh, with the uh, fro- when she's when she's frozen in the sword. But they could could have done that. Like the fact that they thought Elsa was a bad person. There were people trying to kill her. You don't need to suddenly conjure up a surprise villain in the in the in the last ten minutes. Just so someone can be about to strike her, hmm. like it's so pointless. It's so disorienting. It's so it it, it just steps on its own feet because like all the things it sets up, it just seems to be throwing at uh, out by the end. Like okay, sure, Kristoff and Anna doesn't get married at the end, but it's still like well, hey, you've known each other for about a sum total of six hours or something. Now you're completely in love. I don't think it was completely in love by the end. I. Well, the idea I got from the ending was that they were going to start dating. They were going to, they were they were going to take it slow. That's not even slightly what I got from it, especially with 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 the, with the entire "I got to run back to the castle because I'm the true love" character scene that was made with Kristoff before it, which like the um, which which Sven the um, the uh, 
Uh, it moose? I think it was a moose. Um, they insisted on. Well, I'm going to blame that on everyone's a little bit emotional right now. I mean, Miss, that woman over there who we were going to crown king, she sort of got ice powers. She created a giant thing. Now, I think my girlfriend person is dead, nearly dead or something. Let's get going on the reindeer to go save her. And there's also the entire thing with trolls, which was probably the worst part of the movie. I kind of figured when they first came on, as in, oh, so these people are in charge of all the magic things. Okay, fine. And then eventually they introduced later. I like that song that they did. I did like it. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And by the end of it, I was making jokes with that, such as... um. Let's all sing a song, let's all sing a song. Hey, this woman here's dying. We're still singing a song, we're still singing a song. Everyone, please help my... Help this woman here. Oh, wait, no, she actually is dying. Oh, shit. Um, we just spent three minutes on this stupid song. At least the movie did proper foreshadowing, because you had like, the first scene where they're like, oh, you're lucky it wasn't a frozen heart. That's not as easy to fix. And that was the point where I at said... At that point, like, oh, she, she, she'll get a frozen heart later. <laughs> Well, someone is. Yeah. Um, well, of course it's going to be her because the entire sister thing was established and all. Um, and it, uh, let's remove all memories of magic from her memory. What? What? That was that was really fucking stupid. <laughs> At least you'll remember all the good times. Yeah, but they're going to be so disjointed and fractured that they're not going to make any sense hey, what, what if a crisis happens uh, and and elsa will need help regarding her powers which she clearly can't control well uh oh well sorry parents died i'm just i'm just sort of thinking of all of the fun things they did that relied on elsa's powers as in what was she supposed to form in her head will she will every memory come with its own like big sign saying "scene missing." How much magic? I mean, how how detailed magic can these trolls do? If it's that simple, couldn't they just like alter everyone's memories to help things out like that? Since it's apparently okay to alter people's memories now, I find it very immoral. But you know, still. <laughs> I mean, it's so silly. Uh, no, I. I think the movie needed a lot of rewrites. I would have taken out a lot of characters. I would have made it more linear in the travel aspect of the movie. Because holy shit, they never stand still. They need to they keep moving back and forth between locations. Like the, I could never keep track of what was happening when. Because it often seems like, oh, now we're seeing this scene for a good ten minutes. And now we're seeing a scene that probably happened at the same time or after... Or, or bef- maybe before I don't know. We're in a completely different location, and it doesn't really add up with the scene before it. So I don't know where to place this at all. It's it's odd. Like you have the and just some of the the um. I felt they sort of ruined their own um, possible wow factor too regarding some of the designs, like the the Let It Go, which is a masterful song and has a really good segment. Uh, where you know you have Elsa uh, roughing mm. up her hair and running and create, of course, the best part, creating the uh, the ladder up to the castle, or the stairs up to the castle. That part is amazing. 
Then she actually starts building the castle. She like, steps down her feet, and like the little snow, the large snowflake appears, and blue eyes starts forming up. And it looks so overly dark and evil. The entire castle is dark blue and has like pretty things everywhere. I'm like, huh? She's currently happy about singing, and she's established not to be a bad character. Why does she have a villain's lair? Why is this not a pretty, pretty, like, light blue, whitish castle? That would actually look much more impressive as well. We mentioned how she's been rewritten so many times where I think this was carried over from a previous Must have been. version. Because, well, I'm sure there are plenty of um, play sets where, where you have bar- Barbie dolls out of all of the characters and you can, they can all live in the ice place together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, I I don't know what else to say really. I I was I was largely disappointed, even though the movie was good. Um, I think, and and I need I need to to re- reiterate that the mo- I do think the movie is good. I was happy I saw it and I had a good time watching mm. it. I just felt it could have been so much more. Well, I think I was just that's usually how I am with film that I just there are some films where I just get enamored with them. I mean, I really liked the characters, and for the most part, Elsa and Anna were really, really good as adu- as opposing sisters, whether they were on the same side or not throughout the course of the film. I really liked Kristen Bell's portrayal of Anna, yeah, as well as what well, I'm going to do a John Travolta here. And <laughs> I don't I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Idina yeah, Mendes? Is that it? Something like that? Yeah, Idina Men- Idina Menzel. Yeah, it's Idina at least. I know that much. But she, I think she has, as we've stated, she has the, probably the trickiest role that Disney has cast in a good long while. Yeah. As in, she has so much on her plate as a character. She has to portray a large range of emotions constantly flu- constantly in flux from one end of the film to the other. And I think the fact that I can st- still form a character out of all of that, as in I can think of El- Elsa as a character and how she sounds, what she's like, and how she ends up, I think it's a testament to how brilliantly the performance was. I think that one moment, like the one moment where I felt Elsa was like, uh, the, the one moment where she really feels like a villain is when she's scary as fuck in the um, the fight sequence in the ice castle, mm. and she like just makes a bunch of spikes of ice, just like, like it holds the guy up against the wall. But the, the, at the speed it's going and the way it cuts away, for a second I was certain she just impaled someone. I was like, "What just <laughs> happened?" <laughs> Uh, but the, it, it, that's also interesting, actually. The the amount of changes they did to the script, like probably last minute, because in the storyboards on the official Disney YouTube page, there are scenes where Elsa and um, Anna interact with each other before the opening of the gates. Like you have uh, Anna coming over and borrowing dresses from uh, Elsa and stuff, and they talk about the uh, Anna having ruined a dress at some point and it being a way to be sewn so, so back together and stuff. And it's like, it, it's 
completely the opposite of oh they haven't even spoken for years that that we established in the actual movie and i'm not sure what i would what 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 angle i preferred there actually if i would have liked them to have more interaction because if there's one problem i have with the opening is that i felt there wasn't enough characterization between the sisters for the big um yeah when the big split actually happens after the powers well, are revealed to be as effective as it could have been. Well, I think the idea of the whole film was that the disconnect ever since that incident, ever since the incident, the first incident, yeah, was that there was this that they have that they were more than friends back then, but since then, there's been a part of Elsa that was scared, of, like way too scared. Of ever hurting anyone again, and I mean, the scene itself where um, Anna declares, "I'm going to marry this guy I've met literally just now," and there's a huge argument over it, and all of this pent-up rage just flurries out from both of them, whether it's in the form of ice or not. I thought. I get the feeling that I can see why those scenes were deleted. Yeah, that the, the um, that scene is very strong, um, but it also does come at the expense of not. I, I, at that point, I wasn't entirely sure where to place the characters, um, like where to place the relation relationship fully, because we had only seen the the one scene. Maybe they should have had another scene with them as children before um, Anna got. Um, Struck with the eyes. Maybe that could have helped me more. I don't know. But no, I think that's enough about Rosen. We haven't even talked about the snowman character. Oh yeah, Olaf. The one thing that I was expecting to hate. It was funny. Thankfully, um, Josh Gad is a brilliant performer on Broadway and he's bought the same energy and he gets a really funny song. He Yeah, he was really funny. Um, I liked him. I didn't think yeah. too much of him. I, I liked him better than Sven, which that's good. Well, I like it whenever miming goes on between a gu- a person and a animal. Yeah. So when you got the reindeer who does all the faces, every time Kristoff is either talking or singing. Yeah, I, I did like that stuff. Actually, said Sven's uh, thoughts out loud. That was kind of funny. <laughs> But yeah, I think we've talked a lot about Frozen now. Yeah, so let's jump into questions. We have a lot of questions. Um, Alright, starting off with... Uh, who was the first person asking here? Travis McKeithen. Uh, no, that's not a question. Hold on. Uh, okay, Yuho Venquist. Uh, has there ever been a movie that you didn't like at first, but later changed your mind about it uh, without without actually rewatching it? The movie you didn't like and then decided and then came came to liking without you having to watch it twice. I don't think there's ever been a case where I've liked a film despite despite initially saying I hate it. Because if something like that happens, I will normally watch it again just to make sure. Yeah. Like um recently 
I remember as a kid, I hated the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, how can but you? Now, I hated it. And then eventually I'd hear people saying, it's not that bad, as in, it's messy as shit, but it's it, it's not by no means bad. So I'll, so I'll just try to make sure maybe I, maybe I over, like, maybe I over-exaggerated how much this, how bad this film was. But sadly, this does, this story does not have a happy ending. I ended up hating the film. I love my brothers for all the reasons. Oh, See, that's the thing. I kind of wish that could be a so bad it's good film for me, but it's just not. But um, yeah, I mean, a film like Fantastic Four, for instance. I remember watching it initially and hating it because it wasn't Spider-Man. It wasn't as good as Spider-Man or X-Men or any of the Batman ones, to be honest. Yeah, Fantastic Four is worse than Batman Robin. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I think nowadays I just sort of see it as, well... Chris Evans was good. And... I can't think of one that I've turned around in that way. Actually, I like it's it's because like you, when when I dislike something, I will either make sure I can point out why I dislike it, or I will rewatch it until I can. Yeah, I mean, I'm waiting for the moment in my life when I decide that I should reevaluate whether or not. I should hate Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton version, as much as I do. Yeah, you should. If not more. And the sequel. I'm just saying that before the sequel's even out. Oh, oh that movie. Let's not dwell on that for now. Oh, What's not. the next question? Yeah, um, Travis McKeithen. Oh, he did ask a question. Uh, what are your favorite so bad it's good flicks? What a fitting question. Wow. Um, everyone loves The Room. Oh, who does? Uh, I was in. Oh, what? Which one? Um, I was introduced to a very special version of Hercules through um, Movie Bob showed a big picture. The new one, it... Legend of Hercules. No, this is a uh... 1983 film starring Lou Ferrigno. Because the thing about this film was, it was listening. It's <laughs> insane because the producer. Wanted to make a Hercules film, but then he watched Star Wars. And then he decided, that's what I want my Hercules film to look like. So, what so we have Master is... Pretty much. Oh my. Before Masters of the Universe even existed, starring Lou Ferrigno. That sounds amazing. It's, it's, it's utterly insane. It... All of the villains are in space doing with the weirdest costumes. There are Transformers in it. There's a bit where I think he attaches he attaches something to a chariot and then he throws the chariot through space, immediately gets on a chariot and then flies through space. I'm... There's a bit where oh, he flings wow. a bear into space through sheer force of will and strength. Like I think it kills, I think it kills a family member of his, and he gets so angry he punches a bear into space. That is amazing. It's, it is insane. It's wonderful. I absolutely adore this film. Okay, um, that's probably my selection. I um, Scorpion King three. Uh, 
I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna search for. I'm gonna, gonna get the full title for it. Um, see, Scorpion King Three because it has a subtitle. Uh, Scorpion King Three: Battle for Redemption. This movie is terrible. It's absolutely awful. But Billy Zane and Ron Perlman is in it, and they shoot all the scenery and completely overact every single thing in the movie. Is Billy Zane the, the Scorpion King? No, no, no. The Scorpion King is played by some guy. Person. Uh, Victor Webster. Um, but uh, you have uh, Billy Zane as the main villain looking for the Book of the Dead to, to raise um, an army of four undead warriors. And he doesn't care about anything in the movie. He's like, Book of the Dead, please. Rise up, my warriors! And then he just like, slops his arms down and stares at everyone on the set, basically. He's <laughs> like, come on, my warriors. How much of Billy Zane's career is he trying to get away with? I, don't, I, I, think, I think I posted on YouTube a video of all the Billy Zane scenes strung together from this movie. They're amazing! <laughs> They're... I... There's this one scene where he just cuts off a guy's ear for no reason. Like, literally shooting the messenger style. A guy's like, hey, hey, Scorpion King ran away. Oh, really? Cuts off the guy's ear and just walks away. <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, and you have, like, there are scenes that just feels unfinished. Like, there's one part where um, the Scorpion King played by Wicked Webster and his fat comedic sidekick, who's a Scandinavian warrior, Olaf, played by Boston Christopher. He, of course. Uh, they, they set up camp in the mountains or something, and they um they wake up and a tiger is like stealing their food or something. I'm like, oh shit, the tiger! Like, oh no, this is dangerous. We gotta do something. The tiger is on top of our camping stuff. We can't do anything. Like you see him like like slowly moving. Like, what are we gonna do? And then they cut away from the scene, and like probably I think they cut to like Billy Zane screaming at people or Ron Perlman <laughs> laughing and swinging a sword at his at his own men for some reason. Um. Yes, that happens in the movie. Ron Perlman just—he reads a letter and he goes, ha, 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 pulls out a sword and he starts swinging it against his old men. I don't know, <laughs> um, but um, yeah. Then they cut back, and now Olaf and the Scorpion King are just riding off. <laughs> like, wait, hold on, there's a tiger. What what happened to the tiger? As in, one character was like, "Wow, that was that was a narrow escape, wasn't it?" And the Scorpion King says. Well, I was a little worried when he ate me, but <laughs> you they know don't. The they, they never mention it again. Like they have this big like reveal, like oh no, tiger, cut away. Oh nope, no tiger. <laughs> Just cut that scene out of the movie, guys. Don't leave in the opening to the scene. It's it's amazing. Everyone maybe should watch the, it. It's hilarious. Maybe the tiger flubbed his lines, and they just couldn't do another take. <laughs> maybe. Uh, James Russell asks, "What actor ruined a film you'd otherwise have lo- would have loved?" Ooh, that's a... Oh wow, an actor ruining a movie. It can happen. It can um... happen, but I can't think of one. <laughs> uh... I'd say when Jack Black gets too much. Oh yeah. Like, what, like what, a film I like is Tropic Thunder. And to a very small extent, the Tenacious D movie. But although I don't mind Jack Black... In some films, there are some other films where he just comes out of nowhere and just screams. 
Like I think with Tropic Thunder, the whole point of that film is that he's portraying a Chris Farley caricature. Yeah. What, but I'm sure it's a very... I mean, what he does is a very accurate portrayal, but it's... It was just a character I couldn't really stand, and every time Jack Black came on, I could kind of see myself go, great. Go back to Robert Downey Jr. telling everyone he's not racist, please. But there, yeah, are, that's there are a lot of actors and actresses I can't stand that will take me out of a movie. But now I can't think of any good movies they've been in <laughs> where, I, where like they've actually ruined a good movie. I can think of bad movies with them. Well, he's very bad to begin with. Um, you, you get a lot. Mila Jovovich, Sorry. maybe. No, she hasn't been in any movie that would have been, that would have been good. She's terrible, yeah, I mean... though. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. Directors, probably. I can think of probably a good amount of directors that could have made a good movie but didn't because of terrible directors. Um, like pretty much anything Paul Thomas Anderson touches, but yeah. Oh yeah, one thing. I will always notice when Eric Roberts is on the screen. So when he turns up in Dark Knight as the Mafia boss, I just sort of giggle. Well, I mean, okay, if if we count that, then a lot of movies have been ruined for me because they include um, um, uh, oh fuck, what's his name? Um... The guy um, from The Mummy. Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Like, I, I, I saw a movie in the in the, in the the local rent store because of all the jokes going around about Brendan Fraser between me and people I, I engage with, and of course, also, Medicinal Justice. Uh, I, um... I, 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 I was in the... I was, at, at the I was at the film store. I was looking for something to, to buy, and his face came up, and I just burst out laughing out loud in the store. <laughs> Uh, uh, Brenton Kilroy wants to know our favorite '80s movie. He even he even wrote film, and I said movie. I <clears throat> god damn it! This is going to be one of those things that confuses me for the rest of my life. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, favorite '80s movie. Um, God, there's so many. Um, I'd say it's either Ghostbusters or Beverly Hills Cop. Good picks, good picks. I will probably have to go with Conan the Barbarian. Um, or possibly our nostalgic value, maybe Tron. Oh yeah. Um, I can get into Tron. I love Tron. <laughs> um, Sam Morris asks, uh, "Why the fuck haven't you watched Microman? Microman yet? Because I've not had a time for it. I'm a busy person, sort of thing." I have jobs to do, places to be, and... Uh... Yeah. He also thought, was, when will you be reviewing Boku no Pico? First of all, this isn't my anime podcast. That's on Wednesdays. And if you want me to review it, I've seen it. I can review it for you personally. Um... Okay, here, here's a serious question. Have either of you seen I Am, o- I Am Omega from The Asylum? I've only watched one Asylum film, and that was Transmorphers. See, so you, should, you should watch the good ones, like um, uh, Abraham, Abraham Lincoln vs. Zombies. That one's brilliant. I think I watched one that was supposed to be Avatar. As okay. in... I don't... 
because I think uh, one character halfway through said, oh, by the way, I'm an alien. Oh, okay. No, I, 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 I like Sherlock Holmes. I like um, Abraham Lincoln. Those are two ones I can think of that I actually liked. But uh, I haven't seen I Am Omega. Probably because I sort of hate every I Am Legend adaptation. Because they all missed the point of the original novel. And normally I can look aside for that, but they've, they've never been good enough for me to do that. And I doubt the Asylum version is going to be. Well, the Asylum versions are never going... I just don't like Asylum films. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I'm supposed to, but so it's, not, it's nothing for me, but, you know. Vid uh, Sermon wants us to know he hasn't seen Robocop. You should watch Robocop. Yeah, watch Robocop. Uh, Thomas Horakowski wants to know which P- which Peter Sellers performance in Doctor Strange Love was your personal favorite? Uh, President Merkin Muffley. Same. Yeah. Good pick. Good pick. Um, moving on to the next page of questions. Sorry. Back. Um, sorry, they're calling me to drive someone somewhere. Can we do a wrap up? Uh, all right. Um, well, fuck. Okay, f- fuck Matty, Matty Shoestrings question. Uh, he doesn't deserve one. I'm going to ask, let's see. Um, I have three questions left that I promised to ask. So we'll go through those, and then we'll end it. <clears throat> uh, the Poly Machine wants to know, our favorite snacks to have while watching a movie at home or at the theater? Popcorn. Crisps. That's easy, okay. Um... Ultra Stoat, which is at uh, underscore Ludono underscore, asks uh, sequels to old films or remakes. Which do you prefer? Sequels or remakes? Uh, remakes are usually a lot more freeing. As in, there's more room for interpretation. But sequels are often better. Yeah. I, I think yeah. I prefer sequels because then we don't lose a bunch of history I might like already. Hmm. I guess it's too much of a case-by-case thing. Yeah. Uh, last question, also by Ludono. Uh, will Need for Speed be as good as Fast and the Furious? I've only seen the trailers for Need for Speed, but no. no. Yeah, pretty much. So, we're ending up the show, and how we end this show is we're going to be clicking the Netflix random button, which is at Vodzilla, and whatever random movie we, we, get, we get, we'll be watching for next week's episode. So, let's find out what we're watching. I have pressed the random button. And the movie in question... Uh, first of all, if it's a movie we've seen, or if it's a TV show, we can skip it. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, yeah, I'm good with all these. Yeah. Uh, I think we should also skip anime, since I have an anime podcast, if you're cool with that. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Let's see what we get. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, what did we get? House of Gods. 
I fuck knew that he was gonna push that random button. Sure as hell. I don't think I pressed a random button. <laughs> I just pressed my recently watched. He will never know. No, I, I got House of That's a TV show. You, you, we have the right to skip it. Shall we skip it? Yeah. Well, I want to be able to do a proper analysis and I have to speed watch it. All right. So next one. Uh, okay. Uh, it didn't give me a movie this time. Let's try again. Just since it keeps sending me to the. Oh, it's probably because I have multiple tabs of Netflix up. Okay, now let's try again. Now it no longer wants to give me a movie. Good, good job, Netflix random button. There we go. Oh my god. What is we'll it? be watching Dracula 3 Legacy. In this direct-to-video sequel, <laughs> Father Uvisi and Luke head to Civil War played Eastern Europe to save Elizabeth and destroy Dracula once and for all. Upon arriving, they learn that warlords are feeding inmates to the fangled creature of the night. Directed by Patrick Lussier, starring Jason Scott Lee. Um, this movie is scary and exciting, according to Netflix. So, Dracula 3 Legacy. Starring... Dracula 3 Legacy, starring Jason Scott Lee. It has Rutger Howe in it. Oh, the rat is in it. Well, the rat's in it as the Drac. It has Who's Roy. It has Roy Schneider in it. It's going to be interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. We'll be watching that for next week. Um, <laughs> I'm going to. We should have picked House of Cards. Oh well. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you for watching. Um, listening. It's what you've done. <laughs> Not you watching. might. Maybe, you might watch. I might have. Um, I could draw some images of me sat at a computer. Yeah, sure. To true. really complete the experience. Uh, Adam Owen, what 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 are you doing? Where can people find you? Film blog wise, I'm on adamlikestowatch.wordpress.com. That's where I do general film reviews, including write ups of all the films that I watch at the cinema every week, as well as any random films I happen to watch. Whether it's The Mummy, aka Hey, Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river. That's the name of the movie. And yeah, and yeah, that's my. Uh, uh, please go see my blog. Uh, you can check me out on Twitter. I'm at Tobichi K, T O B I I C H I K. And uh, Tobichi at WordPress.com is my blog. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week with Dracula 3 Legacy. Bye. Bye.